0: It's the Savage Land. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, this episode is another creator interview with Tim Seeley, uh, the writer of Nightwing, uh, Hack Slash Revival, the upcoming uh, issues of Green Lanterns and Hellblazer, uh, The Lost Boys, uh, so many other things. He's, he's written a lot of great shit, and we'll talk about it. Uh, but This episode is brought to you by Comic Bento and Amazon. Uh, comic Bento this month's theme is Comic Bento Gets Wet. Uh, you can get comic books that are themed around water and life in the aquatic. So there will probably be some Aquaman, some Namor, all sorts of just great watery stuff. Uh, and it'll be uh, five different collected format comics, uh, trade paperbacks. And you can get $5 off your first Comic Bento box by using the promo code SAVAGE. So make sure you go to comicbento.com, use the promo code SAVAGE, and you can save $5 on your first box and help support the show, which we would greatly appreciate. The other way you can support the show is by going to our website, thatmightbecool.com, and uh, clicking on the Amazon banner in the top. Then you can do all of your normal shopping just like you normally would uh, on Amazon. But the great part is some of that profit that Amazon normally would take goes to us. They give us a tiny, tiny little chunk of it. Uh, and again, it's it's just another way to support the show. Uh, you don't really have to do anything you're not doing already. And you don't have to spend anything extra. Uh, but you still give us uh, just some, some tiny little schmeckles. Um, why did I make a Rick and Morty reference there? That's stupid. I shouldn't do these things by myself. Uh, anyway... This interview with Tim Seeley was a fun one. Uh, I asked him about Grayson and Nightwing. Rachel talked to him a bit about Hackslash, Army of Darkness, all that stuff. And Matt talked to him about Revival. It was a great time. Uh, We did this interview over the phone, uh, which uh, led to the quality being a little different than what we normally have. Um, But, uh, you know, the the content is what's important. And Tim was a a great interview. uh, Very talkative and easy uh to just sort of answer our questions and and go with the flow so uh we're him for that and hope you enjoy this interview welcome back to the savage land we've got another creator interview today but my name is jason
1: i'm matt and i'm rachel
0: And today we are talking to the writer behind Nightwing, Grayson, Hackslash, Revival, so many other great comics. Uh, His name is Tim Seeley. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, Now, typically I've found uh, the best way to start these interviews sometimes is just to kind of talk a bit about why you fell in love with the medium of comics and why you sort of chose for that to be... uh, to sort of be your, your you know, living, uh, do you remember when and, and why you first kind of fell in love with the medium?
2: Yeah, I'm. Uh, when I was, I believe, five or so, I was camping with my parents and it rained the whole time. And uh, there was a camp store that my parents took me to and my mom got me Amazing Spider-Man and a Hulk comic. I, for some reason off the top of my head, I can't remember which ones were wore, but it was Spider-Man fighting the juggernaut and Hulk fighting the leader in a circus. Hmm. uh, and for some reason, like I just totally fell in love with them. Um, like kind of was always interested in drawing. So I think the fact that, I mean, even at like five or so, I knew, you know, I liked the idea of drawing stuff. So, um, you know, my mom explained to me that someone had to write and draw these things. So, um, yeah, somewhere around there, it just stuck. I don't know <laughs> why, but it, you know, for, for some people that, that medium, when you, you encounter it, it sort of just sticks in your head and, and never goes away. So uh, that was the case with, with me. And uh, so, you know, 35 years later, I'm still <laughs> still doing this stuff.
0: Were you uh, – so it sounds like you were a bit of a Marvel kid when you first started on comics?
2: I mean, it didn't – that was the ones that they grabbed off the shelf. But I remember us having all kinds of other stuff, you know, whatever – like, I live in a small town. There wasn't a comic book store when I was a kid. Um, so, you know, it's just grocery store gas station comics. I didn't like, I don't think at the time I remember thinking there was a, a major difference for me from Marvel and DC stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I was a teenager, I got a little bit more like, you know, I would go back and forth, but, um, but yeah, so, and, and you know, at the time you could sometimes get like black and white magazine stuff. And, and if it was comics, I was into it. I don't, you know, I think we were like. And sometimes we would get, you know, wildly inappropriate comics for our age because they were comics and the store would only have like heavy metal or Conan or, you know, uh, some horror magazine or something. So, but it, we didn't care as long as it was comics. You know, I was interested in it and I always shared it with my brother. So, we were often reading really, really violent uh, stuff <laughs> or like, you know, half-naked lady Conan comics or Vampirella. But it was comics, so you know, we took what we could get.
0: And I mean uh, apparently it was pretty effective because it it led to both you and your brother uh uh pursuing this uh this crazy world.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we never grew up. We just kind of got stuck at, I mean I think you know part of it was we grew up in a in a very rural, you know, area uh and we didn't have like my neighbor kids or anything, so you know, it was a lot of just my brothers and I, you know, having to entertain ourselves. So um and my my parents were more than happy to, you know, give us comics because it kept us reading and uh, kept us out of trouble. So, you know, that was like a, a big incentive for them was to keep us quiet. So they take us to the bookstore and give us 10 bucks and be like, all right, keep yourself entertained for the next two hours.
0: <laughs> I know that story very well.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: that was uh, that was exactly what my, my dad did with me. He was like, all right, I just need something to keep this kid quiet for a bit. Um,
2: yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> well so and and since we're about to talk about uh Nightwing and also Grayson, since it sort of um you know, kind of I guess feeds into uh feeds into each other. Right out of the way, we'll get out of the way. There's gonna be a lot of opportunities for listeners or any of us to make dick jokes really easily, uh, when talking about a character like Nightwing. <laughs> so I just want to
2: make sure that we're
0: all we're all clear. We see that there's just gonna be tons of opportunities for really easy jokes. Uh so we'll just, you just know. get
2: out of our system now.
0: Exactly, exactly. So, uh, Tim, you've been playing with your dick for a long time now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um,
0: when when did your uh, I, I guess when did that opportunity come up, and, and how did it come about when uh, when you first started with uh, with Grayson?
2: Well, when I was working, so after I did revival, um, I got a call. From DC, uh, from the editor Mike Marts, and he uh, he'd said, "Oh, you know, here at DC, we we liked revival Scott Snyder liked it, so they said we want to talk to you about something." And I had a meeting with them at San Diego, uh, Mike Marts, and and some other guys, and they said we're doing this um, weekly Batman book. So that was Batman Eternal, and I ended up working on that. Um, So uh, the editors uh, Katie and Mike mm-hmm. kind of got along with really well, and at the time they were just trying to figure out something to do with Nightwing because I think they kind of felt like. You know, they just—it was like that New Fifty Two era where they were sort of rebooting stuff and trying to figure out. You know, the, it was, there was a heavy churn in that those books. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but they said they they want to do something with Nightwing. So you know, I, I really liked the character. I liked working on him the few times that we talked about using him in Batman Eternal. Um, but so they just said, you know, can you come up with something for a Nightwing? I was like, yes. And then they <laughs> said, oh, also he's a spy. We want to do like a a not superhero book. And I was like, oh okay. Um, and at first I didn't really have any ideas uh, for it, you know, cause I was like, I'm not even sure how that would work, yeah. but, um, I had shared a studio with Chris Burnham, uh, the artist of Batman incorporated. Oh, that so guy. I,
0: had,
2: I saw him designing like uh, spiral, you know, I saw, you know, Dr. Dedalus and I saw all that stuff kind of coming out and I saw like the Katie, Kevin Kane stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that sort of stuck in my head. I was like, Oh, we can use spiral and, uh, it being a Grant Morrison thing, I was already kind of interested in it and it was already full of all these ideas because Grant's style tends to be here's a million ideas, throw them out, move on, you know? So, uh, so I pitched it as that and, uh, that ended up, I got the gig. And then the, uh, they also liked Tom King's pitch. So they called both of us and said, Hey, could you work with someone else on this? We want to see what this would be. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know each other and they, they just put us together and end up working out really well. I think. Yeah, we <laughs> like we hadn't even met until after I think it took like, what six months for us even to meet up at New York Comic Con. Wow. Um, but yeah, so it ended up. You know, I think it was a book that surprised people. I think every, everyone wanted to hate it, um, but I think it's a very night wingy book. It's a very Dick Grayson-y book. Um, yeah. It was kind of successful enough that when they relaunched stuff, for rebirth. You know they. They kept Tom and I around. They put Tom on Batman. He got the big gigs. I got uh, Nightwing, which is great. I was so totally happy to do that. And, you know, we all got to kind of keep working together.
0: Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of interesting because then, you know, basically at DC, you kind of have two projects uh, in a row where you're sort of uh, co-writing and, and you know, collaborating a lot more on the writing end uh, than than you normally would. Um, was that how, – how was that sort of navigating uh, – writing with collaborators uh in that spe- in that sense
2: well, i mean batman eternal was a total it's an education and I, I think if i hadn't done that it would have been a lot harder to gr- do grayson mm. but um you know for batman eternal it was like a writer's room you know we would have conferences we had three of them over the course of the year um you know they fly us to new york and we'd spend like three days breaking out story and it was done very much like a tv writer's room yeah. um and we'd you know, break the, the beats and then we passed them out and you know, each write our segments. Um, so I have to work with John Lehman and Kyle Higgins and Ray Fox and, and, um, James Tynan and, and, uh, Scott. Mm-hmm. And it was just a really, it was a good experience. Uh, the editors were great, Katie Hubert and, and Mike, mm-hmm. uh, and then eventually Mark Doyle. Um, but it was, I, it ended up being for me a, a really positive experience. That's awesome. Um, and then, you know, I think you take your ego out of it, you serve the story. It's not about, you don't serve you, you serve, Mm -hmm. you know, making the story good. So uh, then when Grayson came along, you you know, I was ready for how to do this. And then Tom is such a natural talent. He's, you know, obviously, I think he's going to be one of the legendary comic writers. So, you know, him coming into this, he was a little green, but he was full of ideas and he was, really easy to work with. and He's a great guy. So, you know, it was actually really easy for us to hit the ground running. And I think for us, I mean, I think the thing that DC got lucky on is that Tom and I had the same theme in mind. I think as I do this and have collaborate with other people, as long as you have the same overall theme, overall goal in mind, you can work together because plot and all that sort of stuff is secondary. Um, As long as you, you know, the direction you want the character to go in stays the same. You can collaborate on on just about anything.
0: That's a that's a good thing to note for all that we. It's for whatever reason, and I guess it's probably this way with with a lot of comic book podcasts. But uh, like a large portion of our audience tends to be creators, and so I know that a lot of people sort of listen to this stuff like you know just basically purely looking for uh, advice on on how to work and how to uh, get better and stuff. And I think that the collaborative you know like on on writing with other people and stuff like that it doesn't get covered so much when talking about comics so i think that's a a great thing to note
2: well i mean no matter what you do it's collaborative so absolutely i mean unless it's it's just you by yourself making a sort of cartoonist auteur type book you're either working with editors or, or other artists or you know publishers i mean everything is collaborative in this in this job unless it's you know you get to make your own image book and then even then you have to work with marketing, and you have to do all that sort of stuff. There's never, yeah, never one man's is island in the in this business, you know.
0: And you have to work with Mike Norton, and I mean, come on, ugh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a lot, all the time for many years. <laughs> um.
0: Well, so when you're when you're approaching, you know, Grayson, and then obviously with with Nightwing as well, uh, was it intimidating at all to try and sort of crack like the voice and the. Uh, psychology or motivations of a character that had been around for so long and and had been such an icon?
2: No, um, I mean <laughs> for whatever reason, like that character, I just I get. I, don't, I didn't. I mean, I I had read you know Batman and Robin comics when I was a kid. I had mm-hmm. as a teenager I would followed Teen Titans, and um, as a later teenager I'd read the Nightwing books from Chuck, and um, so I knew the I knew the character. I always knew what made him work. Um so, didn't I guess the only way I think, and the Tom and I have talked about that a lot too, was the only way we could do that book as the spy book is if we kept it about the guy and the guy didn't change, mm-hmm. his job changed, his genre changed, his world changed. Um, but he didn't. And, you know, so I think going into that with our philosophy, that really helped us. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so for some reason, that I mean, there's a lot of characters I've worked on where it took me a while to figure out their deal and what they want, um, and how they're, how they speak. But for whatever reason, it was the grace. And I was just, uh, you just got it. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's just, you know, so many years, I think actually the, him being around so long helps Mm. get it because, you know, I mean, he has different voices and different stories and different mediums and, and obviously things change in 75 years, but there's still some things that are absolutely the same. So, you know, all you're doing really is making sure that the world he lives in is reflective of the world, the world outside, but it doesn't, it doesn't change him necessarily, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh, so was, was Dick always your, your Robin growing up or who, you know, who was your, the Robin that you always identified with most?
2: I mean, as a kid, yeah, he was, he was my Robin when I was a kid. Um, I was there for, I was like sixth grade when Jason Todd showed up and I was uh, I think in maybe in a, a junior high when Tim Drake showed up. So I definitely, mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've been there for all the Robins to some degree. Um, but you know I mean? Like, well, cause when I was a kid, I think Jason Todd was actually Robin when I was a kid, but I wasn't reading the current Batman stuff. I was reading, we used to get these digests, you know, like these big fat black and white Batman digest. So mm-hmm. all the Batman stuff I was reading was probably from the seventies or, you know, um, it was all like the Neil Adams stuff or it was, you know, that arrow stuff. So, um, so he, I was reading old comics, but Dick was still, still Robin in those. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously the 66 TV show was in syndication when I was a kid. So Rod, he was Robin there and he mm. was Robin in super friends. He was Robin in, um, the Batman animated series, which started, you know, when I was in junior high. Mm. So he was always, that was a character, you know, that I almost strongly identified with Robin, but, I have read all of them, for sure. <laughs> cool.
0: Uh, wh- what do you think it is that makes Dick so unique when compared to the other, you know, like Tim and Jason and Damien and all the other Robins? What is it that stands out about
2: Dick to you? Well, I think the idea that, that Dick was developed to make an accessible character for kids, to, Like, he's the guy that gets to hang out with Batman. So, you know, if you are a kid in the 60s or 50s or, or you know, going back... 40s, 80s doesn't matter. You see that Batman has this kid he hangs out with, and you want to be Robin. You're the guy that gets to hang out with Batman. You don't have to be Batman because being Batman is hard. It makes you angry. It makes you makes you bitter. But being Robin, you get to still have a good time. You still get to go to high school, but you get to do all these adventures. Um, so I think you know that the fact that he's always been that he's this balance point. Um, he's purposely colorful. He's purposely smiling. Um, you know, it, it makes – it like he adds this – he's supposed to balance the inherent darkness of Batman. So <laughs> his, with Robin, Batman doesn't become Punisher, right? Yeah, now. yeah. But, you know, so I think that – I think was always interesting to me. Um, I think the other characters, you know, they work, and there's, there's a part of them that's supposed to be that. But, you know, Jason is a dark guy, right? I mean, Jason is – he was – he was a thief, and he was—he's sort of the failed Robin, mm-hmm. which has lots of potential for story, but it's—it's a, it's a different—it's a different story. You know, it's a different entry point. It's very—you know—it's very like late '80s, early '90s darkness. Kind of, we're taking everything super seriously. Yeah. Um, whereas Tim is—you know—he's the competent, independent person. He—he he comes in and is inspired by legacy, but you know, Tim—Tim Tim is a guy who's going out there where he can do these things by himself. He's, um, he's still got his family obviously. And, and part of it is, you know, he's, he's motivated by a different thing than I think Dick is motivated in the same way that Batman is. It just didn't affect him the same way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so I think that's, you know, the, the fact that he's the, the bright to the night is, I think the most important thing about that character
0: yeah absolutely is that uh is that why you tend to try and find whatever way you can to bring superman uh into the picture whenever you're writing dick Grayson
2: yeah for sure i mean 'cause he you know he's supposed to i i think the idea that Marv had stepped on eventually was that you know dick was sort of a a product of two parents you know like he mm. that he was inspired obviously by Bruce but that part of what made him who he was or part of what he related to was an example put up by by superman so um but yeah i think you know
0: it's always fun i tend to
2: think of it yeah i tend to think of it as batman is like dick's best friend and kind of like a father figure but he's gotten to the point where he doesn't see him as much like a father figure whereas like superman is a guy that he takes advice from that he you know like Like he looks up to in a way yeah like a role model to a degree like in a different way than he does to to Bruce yeah
0: no it's very interesting and i I just noticed it like you know I I had read all of Grayson before and I had been keeping up on Nightwing but uh you know in this this past week before this interview I kind of binged through the whole series and it was funny like noticing oh hey that issue of Grayson where Superman shows up that's a Tim issue and you know it's like oh it's yeah. it's you know like noticing that, uh, that you kind of involve Superman a lot it was it was pretty funny um uh and then so Going into Nightwing rebirth obviously you're you're still writing the same character uh but you're you know obviously amping up the workload you know by basically more than double uh what was what was your sort of like mindset and and what did you want to uh to do with Dick going into Nightwing what was your goal
2: <sighs> I mean I wanted I wanted <laughs> to keep the a lot of the stuff that came out of Grayson I think worked I think the I wanted to keep the the fun Uh, you know, over the top crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that in in a book with this character, anything could happen, could be different genres. It could, you know, uh, it could be funny. It could, it could be sexy. I want to keep that. And then I wanted to keep the travel aspect because I think we figured out one of the cool things about Grayson is because Dick grew up as, you know, this uh, circus traveler uh, that he was inherently good at going to places and making that work. So, we wanted to keep that, but I. wanted, you know, it was really more DC's goal, and I wanted to make them happy. But um, they wanted to bring back Bloodhaven. They wanted to put Dick in a city and give him a reason to stay there. So uh, their goal became my goal, and they, you know, that's part of what Rebirth was supposed to be. Was like, here's some things that we've identified that the readers really, uh, you know, really works for them. That really is is iconic, and so they picked, you know bloodhaven blue costume and Blackbuster as being these these elements that we should bring back and we could do it in a new way but we had to do it with a nod to that classic stuff so so that became the goal was to incorporate you know the things that they felt most excited the fans and for me to make it interesting to me you know I it would be I, it, it was definitely not easy for me to find a way to make bloodhaven something I liked or or blockbuster but mm. blue costume totally easy but but I, I just had to find it and and you know that was my job and i think you know we get we got there we figured out a way to make bloodhaven interesting to me and make blockbuster interesting to me too
0: yeah uh yeah and i i've i mean these i don't know it's it's been such a great series and it's been so awesome to kind of see you know nightwing back in the blue and and you know all of like i don't know everything there's so many uh familiar notes but you're hitting on them in such unique ways um and i mean I, I like it was it was awesome reading this sort of fun spin on like this uh villain support group type thing and uh, i don't know it, it's it's been a great series and so for anyone listening who hasn't read it i i definitely uh recommend going out to the the comic book shop and getting it now um and and this current arc that just started here with Nightwing number 26 is uh, bringing back Huntress and also Spiral in general, kind of some of the Grayson stuff. Um, what do you have to say about sort of what this next arc has in store?
2: Um, yeah, well, basically wraps up a lot of the stuff that we didn't get to in the end of the Grayson series, you know, the some hanging threads. Um, but also, you know, bring Spiral into a world where it connects to Bloodhaven. Mm. Um like spoil, Spoiler alert, we kind of find out there's this ongoing story where there's a, a group of wep- uh, alien weapon uh, dealers called the Second Hand, and we find out that at the end of that first issue that Spiral actually is the Second Hand. So, you know, where Spiral was always this questionable moral thing, now we're finding out, okay, what are they doing? Why would they s- selling these weapons in Bloodhaven? Um, and we kind of flip on the head the idea that when Dick was working for them, they were morally gray at best, but he was a sort of balancing thing just the way he is to Batman. And without them, they've gone in a different direction, you know, without, without his balance. So, um, that's, that's the through line of this arc. I think it also, you see that with Helena, who is an example of that kind of character, you know, she's, she's like very much like Batman and that she's vindictive and driven by anger. So we play along, along with that sort of thing a lot in this three-issue arc.
3: Hell yeah.
0: Uh, well, we've, we've, I I could obviously nerd out over Nightwing stuff all day, uh, but I think that uh, it's probably time to talk about the the projects that are a little more close, you know, to home. The creator-owned projects. Uh, Matt, you've been reading Revival, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, I sure did. read uh, read the read the whole shebang yesterday.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> you you'd read it you'd read it before, right?
3: Yeah. So I well I've read I've read uh, I don't know maybe a third of the way through before. Uh, yes, no, no. I, I took the, I took the complete dive yesterday, which is actually super fun. Um, but Tim, I wanted to congratulate you 47 issues, a whole completed series. That's, that's, that's fantastic.
2: Thank um, you. It was a lot of work. Damn near killed yeah. me. So.
3: <laughs> well, that, that sort of ties in my question. What was that experience like? And what were, uh, what are the biggest lessons and tips you could give aspiring writers who want to undertake such a, such an endeavor?
2: Don't. <laughs> no, um, No, I mean, I think, you know, the the thing we really learned about Revival and the education on it was that um, we, we went into it with a plan, and the plan involved us knowing exactly how the story started, and we knew how it ended. And the way we got there was there, but not as planned out. So, you know, Mike and I, the genesis of the series was we wanted to do like a big mystery story, but... Unlike some of the things that we had watched, Mike was a huge Lost fan, and it really bothered him that Lost didn't seem to actually know what it was about in the end, <laughs> um, except that it had great characters, right? I mean, that that was why you watched it, but so, there was no, there was no actual. The mystery was just to get you through it, um, and we that was part of the idea. Is can we make a mystery and and follow through and pick the? We know what happened now when we start, and we're gonna right. get there. Um, So I would recommend for in the future, that's what I would do for something like this, you know, know where you have to get, know the last scene, um, at least some kind of version of that last scene, but then let your characters get you there. I mean, we, we had milestones we had to hit, you know, I knew at the end of issue 25, this had to happen. I knew at the end of, you know, 36, this had to happen, but... I allowed myself some room to get there. And if characters sort of stood out and took over, that was okay. Um, And yeah, I would definitely do that again. I would also, I think a big education on revival is just how hard it is to keep people excited about a long term series that way. Um, And I think, you know, in the current, I don't think it'll ever change. I think this is the way it's going to be for the rest of all, all the eternity. But when you have so much content and so much new content all the time, um, in comic stores, but also in streaming media and digital and, and all that in the, in the movie theater, you're, you're competing with people's attention. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's really hard to, to do that. And I think, you know, one thing I think what we learned, I should have spent more time and I don't know how, but I feel like we had to beat the drums louder. You know, we had to, we had to be better at Marketing and advertising and things that are basically impossible to do uh, when you're also doing the comic book. Mm. So I would, I would be the other thing I'd give advice is like make sure you're constantly yelling about the book every time you win any kind of award or get a good review. You have to tell everybody because they don't remember it. and they see mm. something new and they, and they move on. So you know that's. I think we figured out the the story part, but we we stumble a little bit on the you know advertising part.
3: Gotcha. Uh, but speaking of the story, st- the story part. So I was, I was completely caught off when I found out who M's murderer was. Uh, um, when you, 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 have got this overall plan for the story. Did you have, did I miss Easter eggs throughout the whole thing or was that kind of,
2: uh, no, you missed them. They're in there.
3: <laughs> they're in there.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. they're Jeez, definitely in there. I mean, it actually times out, you know, I mean we, we knew who the killer was when we started it and part of, The design of the book is that you were never going to assume it's everyone is ageist, right? We're all assume that old people are and and that was part of what the book we knew that people would assume that the nice old man is the nice old man. Um, so part of the the rhythm I think that we set up was just, you know, he's always going to be this you know, charming and, and but if you look back story wise, he's always there in these times when Uh, It sets up, you know, rhythm-wise for him to be there for something uh, nefarious to go on because he's covering his own tracks. He's he's doing a lot of that sort of stuff. So we totally set it up, knowing that you know people and and no one guessed. I mean, that's kind of the interesting thing about that book is that we did pull a pretty good whodunit on people. Um, And I don't think we cheated. I mean, he was always there. We we didn't bring in a character that you'd never seen, which is a cheat. I think you know that often gets used but but i think you know this this was a successful whodunit uh it's a it's certainly a way to do it it'll kick your ass trying to write it but um <laughs> but i do i do enjoy that people you know there was a lot of shocked people and you know reviews and i get tweets from people like what the fuck and they're just really so surprised so so i think that's successful i think that we're pretty proud of that
3: absolutely it's kind of one of those stories you go back and read a second time and you see all those sort of nodes along the way and uh, you can kind of see that. No, I, yeah, I, I was, I was shocked. I, I, I was silent reading except for one outburst when they when, that when that was revealed. That was great. <laughs> um, well,
2: good. It worked. Yeah.
3: It, yeah. 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 Success. Um, so, uh, it, it seems the theme of the book is, is, is death and sort of, you know, humanity's relationship to it. Uh, what's your relationship to that and how did that come across in your story?
2: that's uh, uh, so a kind of a heavy a good question, question but... yeah that's a heavy question <laughs> um no i'm you know i i'm terrified of of death i think i mean we all are obviously i think it motivates everything we do but but you know i've always really been um afraid of of even kind of getting close to the subject or what you know how i would deal with that or if i'd lost someone you know and obviously as you get older you you have no choice but to deal with it uh it's that or, or you're dead yourself. So, um, yeah, I think this, this book was really about com- confronting it, you know, like about dealing with loss and, and letting people go or, you know, deciding, um, to base your life on, on trying to keep alive. I think, you know, that was one of the big things of the character Lester is he's, all he's doing is trying to stay alive at the expense mm-hmm. of just about everything else. Um, so that was certainly a big theme there. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think the setting in my hometown and, and sort of a, a place where I, I first encountered a lot of that kind of, you know, thing, like when I was a kid, uh, you know, a, a cop, my, my grandpa's really good friend was killed uh, by a crazy old man with a gun, you know, like a mile from my house. And, and, and so we're, we're always encountering this really dark stuff. I mean, something about small towns, sometimes like really weird stuff. happens. So having, having getting that to express, through the book and setting it in my hometown, I think, you know, allow me to put a lot of emotional uh, beats in there because they're things that I actually felt and dealt with, you know, at, at various times when I was growing up in Wausau, Wisconsin. Yeah.
3: Yeah, no, I, I mean, and it really, it really comes through in the story that that you've, you've got this deep personal connection to it and that uh, you, c- you can really speak to your experiences uh, as well as create this you know sort of larger noir story around it, and I think that's very cool. Uh, so uh, as you're going through, what characters were you most drawn to, and what were the you know what characters were the most challenging to write? What were your favorite and what sort of what characters sort of changed for you as you went as
2: you were writing uh, along the way? Um, I mean I, it's tough because when you spent like a big cast like that you spent so much time making sure all of them. You know, hit that that they all represent something and that they all have that their storyline represents, you know, a a particular tone and a theme that you want to get to that you kind of fall in love with all of them because you you have to find that story. So, um, but I think the uh, definitely Blaine Abel was a character that surprised me. We kind of made him up as a throwaway and I kind of got just this idea of this, you know, kind of uh, sleazy. but well-meaning kind of broken guy who's an exorcist and a snowmobile repairman uh, (laughs) sort of really worked for me. Um, You know, and Dana kind of started to pick up traits of people I knew um, And her, you know, her, the fact, I think she's so motivated by her own mistakes um, and that being a mother is kind of where she sees this chance to, to fix that, I think is, and, you know, I think the character is really about someone who, who feels like she was a bad daughter and a bad sister and she'll make up for that by being a good mom. Um, was always interesting to me. And, uh, I think, you know, M and, um, the mayor character, I've kind of found a lot of stuff to like about him because he's kind of a shitty guy. Um, and then Wayne who's a little bit inspired by my own dad also a little bit inspired by a a police cop I knew in, in my hometown. Um, so yeah, it's weird. like you put so much of other people into your characters that it's hard not to um, you know like them all because you see the people you know in them, you know
3: <laughs> so yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, no uh, so speaking of um, speaking of, uh, of 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 Blaine, so the
2: the
3: and I'll, and I'll wrap up the, the the revival section with this, but the the, the limp biscuit running gag. Gave me yeah. flashbacks to my own embarrassing childhood uh, <laughs> when I was a huge Limp Bizkit fan. <laughs> uh, but what what uh, what music was sort of guided you through the series? And and
2: uh, yeah, well, we did. Like and one of the cool things was was that we we started the book, Mike and I were both uh, into a Minneapolis rap band uh, called Doomtree. It's a group. Uh, it's kind of a super group of a bunch of different rappers out of Minneapolis. Um, mm-hmm. and so the original, one of the original inspirations for the character M was actually a song by this artist named Dessa, uh, and we originally, the, the poem in the beginning of the book is sort of inspired by a song of theirs called The Grand Experiment. So, um, we had kind of always, we, as a studio, all the studio members were, were big fans and we saw them live. Uh, and then we got to meet them and I suggested that we'd like to put them in the comic and the rapper Sims is a huge comic fan. So we ended up getting to talk to those guys and we put them in issue 13. Uh, as sort of, you know, the the concert that uh, that M and, and her professor share. Oh, yeah. uh, and uh, so that was really cool for us. And so that's always been a, a running aspect of this is, is you know, the Doomtree connection. And the, there's a sound to like Minneapolis hip hop that's really different than other stuff. And I, I think largely it's because it's snowy there. Uh, and they, they just have a different, uh, like a more melancholy, uh, aspect to their music, which, um, works, works great for Revival too. Um, so that, yeah, that was a huge part of it. And, uh, so yeah, we still get to go to concerts with those guys and have tacos with them, which is pretty cool for us. Yeah.
3: Uh, all right. I'm going to pass over to Rachel for some hack slash.
1: Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I will warn you. I'm a little under the weather, so I don't normally sound like death, but <laughs> okay. it, it'll it'll well, kind of fit. To hear you're not feeling well, yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite things about Hackslash is kind of how you turn to the tables, where the girl survives and then becomes a killer of killers. Is is that something that you always wanted to do?
2: Yeah, I mean, so I and I've heard this later, and I didn't think of it at the time, but apparently one of Joss Whedon's big. Um, the impetuses for creating uh, Buffy was that he was watching all these movies and you know, he was like feeling bad for the cheerleader, you know, he's like, why is the cheerleader always going to get killed? And he just wanted to save the cheerleader instead of punishing the, the character. So I think it was definitely a lot of that for me too, is that, you know, um, I love B movies. And I love schlocky horror. And I've always had a, a affection for that kind of stuff. But I always I think it always bothered me the way that women get treated in those movies too <laughs> um, so so for to, to some degree you know it's this is my revenge on those movies uh and but also I think you know when we created the book uh there was something in the air there was I kind of right around i started to create I was, I was going to a lot of goth clubs and, and all that sort of stuff I'm seeing these these women take back a lot of stuff like you know horror movies and pin-up art and And things and repurpose them for themselves and i think i was really inspired by that uh so that kind of gave way to cassie hack
1: nice that it it makes me happy to actually see a female not die (laughs) since i (laughs) i also grew up watching the women always get killed for every single reason ever
0: yeah Yeah. that's such a sad Um, statement to have to be like it was it was great to see the woman not die (laughs) <laughs> no. yeah it tells you
2: too much about the world I think. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. It, it definitely made me happy um were there any specific slashers that you took inspiration from or did you kind of try to keep that more original
2: no i mean I, I i we definitely tried to make it you know its own thing and i didn't but it's really obvious i think that you know, we took the template of, of Jason and Michael Myers and combined it to make the, the rule of what a slasher is. Because you start out making those movies with a set of rules in mind. They just needed to keep making sequels. So they had to come up with reasons why their character kept coming back, even though they had to kill them by the end of the movie. So, you know, we took and stole ideas from that to, to generate this series of rules and, and make it a, its own kind of monster. I mean, and it, Certainly, like folklore works that way. Like vampire stories, the rules for vampires come from the fact that people have written these hundreds of vampire stories over the years, and you know, the why zombies eat brains comes from one very specific movie, not you uh, know a whole bunch of them. But they, those things get added to the to the overall uh, myth, and I think that's kind of what we try to do in, in Hack Flash. So, um, I think Jason and Michael are definitely the beginning points, but you know, we added elements. I, Later from from Freddie and um, you know the and then just any huge assortment of directed videos all kind of went into that too.
1: Yeah, I, I, you can definitely kind of pick out mm-hmm. little pieces that are there, but they're still pretty original in a way as well. So yeah, it does for kind sure. it's kind the twist. Interesting.
2: <laughs> and the idea had to be you know we take this whatever it couldn't just be we're gonna do a you know, Friday 13th movie. Like we had to, the idea had to be, okay, what is the, what are those stories about and why do they work and why do people respond to them? And then let's turn that into something new. Um, So, you know, it's, it it can look kind of silly to be like, Oh, we're, we're sort of raising up the bar on, on, you know, exploitation, murder movies. But I think that's what we were trying to do. Uh, And, you know, give some character to characters that don't usually have any, they just, you know, things to get stuck with knives and get naked and run around and scream.
1: <laughs> Which is entertaining on its own, I guess.
2: Yeah, it certainly has its own value, for sure. But, you
1: know. uh, were there any flashers that you did come up with that you didn't get to use?
2: Oh, no, no. We filled that thing with every idea I ever had. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: there's nothing. I mean, the one thing about that book that... Was hard was that we would have I would come with an idea for a slasher and and the artist would d- design them and then I'd be like oh that's its own story like I could sell this on its own this could be just a movie called Father Wrath you know whatever um, yeah and and so it's but they had to just by by nature of a monthly comic book like I needed fodder so I was killing all my ideas literally um, <laughs> you know which I, I think it worked out in the end but I could totally be a retired slasher movie producer by this point with all the characters that we came up with, I think were pretty good ideas.
1: Yes, I, I <laughs> definitely agree with that. Uh, did, did you ever write a scene to violence where they kind of told you maybe you should tone that down a bit?
2: I mean, no, cause I don't have bosses on that book. So, I mean, I <laughs> <really straight> around, <laughs> so. but, I mean, I have my own rules. Um, and I, I'm actually like, I'm, I think I'm a tougher censor on violence than, than anybody I've ever worked for. like, I think even Marvel and DC are pretty loose about violence, mm-hmm. um, which I, I think is kind of weird. I'd rather censor the violence and up the sex, yep. personally. That's just, you know... So, I mean, in hackslash, I would let all the nudie, sexy stuff in. Like, i I push it as far as we could, um, especially positive sexual stuff, like try to push that, push the, those kind of relationships. Mm-hmm. But I I would you know, censor myself. I would have to censor the artists a lot too, because sometimes you get a bug, a couple of bored artists, you know, and they just start throwing in shit. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, uh, <laughs> that's too far. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, in the end, the violence is mostly in the book kind of played for, for mostly for laughs, but then when it isn't, it really isn't, you know, then it's really horrible and it's, it's and purposely, uh, offensive and, and frightening. So I th- I think we pulled it off that way.
1: Yeah, I I I definitely am okay with the way it was done. Some of it's a little over the top, but it's still kind of funny in a way, like the girls yeah, John naughty it. type stuff. That was totally. pretty yeah. hilarious.
2: <laughs> yeah. And that's you know, that was based on my own experience with going to spring break with a girlfriend and watching just a way, you know, the people, uh, it just the instant debauchery that people are—they feel like they're expected to engage in kind of cracked me up. And also, it just seemed like such a a parallel for a character who was, you know, at that time, very repressed, I think, to have to live among these these total hedonists, you know, and just be really horrified by it. I think it got us a lot of good conflict.
1: Yeah, I, it was definitely entertaining. I definitely felt like Cassie just... Around all these stupid people and just hating everybody—that that's me on a daily basis. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I did read that your first issue of Hack Flash was actually your Army of Darkness pitch.
2: It is, yeah, it was. Yeah, it actually was my Army of Darkness pitch, because uh, when I was working at Devil's Due, I first started. Uh, I was actually not even living in Chicago yet. I was uh, kind of telecommuting, I guess. But um, they asked for 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 different licenses for us to pitch for. And so I wrote this uh this Ash versus uh Deadlight Animal story and they did we ended up not getting the rights, but um but uh sorry, got distracted. Uh <laughs> but uh but I was able to use it for for Hex Last and, and that's probably to some degree why Cassie's a little bit like Ash, I think. Or a lot of in some ways a lot of it um because the the bones of that story were, were there.
1: Yeah, I I definitely. I loved it even more after I read about that. I'm a huge uh, Evil Dead and Army of Darkness fan myself. So when I actually started reading the crossover, just their interaction together is incredible. But uh, how was it teaming up your character with a character that you've been a fan of since your teens?
2: I mean, that, I think that's the best thing I've ever written, is <laughs> Army of Darkness versus x <laughs> Just because, to me, it's so much, it's pure, like, things that I'm really interested in, but it's also, I think, a statement. We I figured out a way to make a statement on both those characters that doesn't, you know, it doesn't change who either those people are. Or it, it really uses who they are. Uh, I think which, you know, Ash is this, He's a total monster. He's total asshole. But he's actually kind of a man child, and he's sort of he's the opposite of Cassie. You know, she's she's a teenager, but she's she's this like hardened war veteran, this kind of tough person. And Ash is really the opposite, you know. Um, and so just their interactions, uh, to me, it almost didn't matter what the plot was. You know, and we, we came up with something that totally worked and incorporated both universes. But in the end, if it was just about them having to deal with each other, I think we would have gotten a good enough story out of it.
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. I probably wouldn't really care what the actual plot was. I would just like to read that forever. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty entertaining. Um, going into an established character like Ash, is there anything that you knew you wanted to change or was it intimidating? How how did you go about that?
2: Uh, no, I mean, so I have whatever the weird things like I never... If it's a character I really like, I'm never intimidated. Uh I don't get nervous about it until after I'm done. And then I'm like, oh, I should have been I should have been nervous about that. But um, you know, I've seen I've seen those movies hundreds of times. I know that character's voice, you know, inside and out. And I feel like the only thing I sort of wanted to add to him was this idea that everything that had happened in any comic or any movie or anything with him, video game or whatever, it all it all counted. It all happened. So, you know, one of the things we put in there is we mentioned that ashes, he's talking about all these relationships he's been in and, and like we incorporated stuff that I think, you know, he mentions how one of his girlfriends got eaten by Galacticus, Galactus, Galactus okay. and stuff like we, we may, we make it so that all the versions of his character of which there are a lot, uh, they all count, you know? So, um, cause I think there's a tendency of the evil dead cart comics and the army of darkness comics, some of it by necessity, but they all, they're all completely unrelated to each other. You know, it's just like, here's another thing where Ash comes back and you have to go back to the cabin. Mm. And even the, even the TV show does the same thing. So yeah, things, and we can do that in a comic, they can't do that on, on the, in the movies or they can't like there's licensing problems and, and all that sort of stuff with that character that we didn't have to deal with. So um, <laughs> it all matter. It should all be part of the story. It should all, you know, have built to this moment in this guy's life.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It it made it way more fun, I think, too, just to have these kind of random moments of him saying stuff like that. <laughs> uh, we I we even crazy.
2: referenced, like, uh, Fre- Fre- Jason versus Freddy versus Ash, and they like, you know, they, they we, I try to make sure, like, if you were really into it, you could find – all of those things that they were totally, they're all the same universe, which makes me a huge nerd, but that's totally how I approached it. So.
1: <laughs> no, I, I love it. That actually makes me like it even more. <laughs> it's all connected. It's all connected. Um, I am a little curious if Robert Kirkman knows that you killed him.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know So when thing. we started hack Slash, I mean, originally when I, when I was doing a devil's do, um, Josh was Josh Bullock, the boss of was like, "Are you sure you feel confident in writing this? You really want to do this?" And I was like, "You know what? I'm not sure." So I asked I asked Robert because at the time, you know, I knew everybody. We all knew each other, and mm-hmm. we just came up at the same time. And he was like, "Yeah, sure, man, I'll write it for you." And then he ended up getting really busy with Walking Dead. It was right about the same time, so um, you know. And when that took off, then uh, it helped tax slash, and every I think. So when we did, um, uh, what's it comic book? I can't remember the title now. But but it's the one where we sent to comic their slash to comic conventions. I asked Robert and Steve Niles and, and other people if I could use them. Scotty Young, um, if I could use them in the book. And it's funny, like all those guy, all those people went on to be really big creators in their own right. Uh, <laughs> and it's funny that Scotty was an ongoing character in Hack Slash for a couple of years. It's pretty funny. That is really
1: funny. yeah. I, I definitely enjoyed that as well. Um, sorry, I'm just going through my notes here. Uh, how did the crossover with Nailbiter come about?
2: It's another one of those everybody in comics is friends and knows each other, but uh, <laughs> I've known Josh Williamson for a good amount of years. Um, I met him at a con a long time ago, but I, I uh, was going out to Portland for a couple of conventions, and I ended up you know, hanging out with Josh and Scott Alley, we watched the breaking bad finale, I think at Josh's house. So, um, but we had been talking about doing something and, and one of the early, um, for Josh, like he always wanted to do a horror book. And I think he always, a lot of my friends were always like, Oh man, you get to do anything you want, hack slash screw you. We're going to do it. So that was one of Josh's early things he said to me. Uh, so I said, well, we never do it. We'll, we'll cross over. Uh, so yeah, it was just in these kind of cases, like, we are doing a book like that for image, you know, we did a revival and chew and, um, you're just working with your buddy. Like I just call up Josh and say, Hey man, what do you want to do? And he says, I, I want to do this. All right, go ahead and do that. And then I do, I flip and do the same thing. And we did it with John on uh, revival and we just split the money. So, you know, we <laughs> put up the book half, half, we each get half and, um, it's awesome. There's no paperwork. There's no executives needed. There's nothing. It's just, you know, let's just make something cool together.
1: Hell yeah. Yeah. And no is definitely one of my favorite series. So when I kind of came across that issue, it that was pretty exciting because I had no idea until I got to that issue in the trade. So <laughs>
2: that, oh, yeah. that, that was We'd like so exciting. In. I mean, and that's, <laughs> you know, that's such a cool thing about comics that we can do that, that we can surprise you, you know, and that's hopefully we'll be able to maintain doing that and not get stale and you know, throw weird stuff at people and get them get them <laughs> interested. Um,
1: so I'm gonna go ahead and start our lightning round where we just kind of throw out Woo-hoo! some quick questions at you. So, who is your favorite serial killer?
2: Oh God, real one? Yeah. <laughs> like real serial killer? Yes. <laughs> uh, I I actually like I actually think that stuff is so weird that people you know, like, people that hurt real people that people think that's, you know, something to... I mean, I find it interesting and horrifying, but, like, I would never wear, like, a uh, Ted Bundy t-shirt or something, you know? Like, to me... <laughs> yeah, probably not
0: fandom level, probably just,
2: I guess, most interesting. Or something. There's just, like To me, there's such a... There's, there's a major separation for me between horror movies and real horror, you know? Like, I, I have such yeah. a... You know, like, real crime is not... Uh, I'm interested in, like, true crime stories, but... This sort of I've seen people that that really almost identify with really really bad people mm. uh so um definitely do not have a favorite serial killer
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a little more comforting <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: um whose idea was it to make dick Grayson's butt so infamous?
2: <laughs> I mean it was there before that I think you know the um Nicole Scott had had kind of uh they had a cottage industry of making a, a particularly strictly toned Dick Grayson, butt, but, but, <laughs> uh, and I think, you know, it, it was, it was certainly like a joke put in Dev Grayson. I think did some stuff mm. about that. But one of the things that when Tom and I first got on the phone about it was, you know, let's just lean into that stuff. Like let's, <laughs> let's have a scene where he's undercover and someone, his face is covered, but someone recognizes his ass. Like, <laughs>
0: yeah. Midnighters like, just, I not know he, that ass anywhere.
2: <laughs> so, I mean, and part of it was just, you know, one of the things that we we thought you could get away with on Grace, and they couldn't get away with anywhere else, was we could make it sexual and silly, mm-hmm. and 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 still make it fun, and and uh, so yeah, that was uh And I don't, it's definitely one of the first conversations Tom and I had about the book was like, we're we're leaning into that. We're gonna make it. It's gonna have abs <laughs> all over the place, and you know,
0: there's so uh, much man candy.
2: Yeah, and, and we're, you know, Tom and I are both straight guys who are completely comfortable with our sexuality. So we were like, yeah, let's do it, man. Let's not even <laughs> hesitate for a second, you know? So, um, and, That's and a good I think, choice. well, yeah, and it, you know, it, it ended up sometimes it would bite us in the ass. I think issue 13, when we got in trouble for some people being kind of offended um, by this joke we've made, with which it just, you, I think we took the plane make fun of the sexual stuff to the point where it just would. It it reversed on us, and it just mm-hmm. made people mad. Um, but that was an education, so now, yeah. now I know. <laughs> uh, what,
3: what, what's your favorite Limp Bizkit song?
2: Oh, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the most ridiculous one is the remake of uh, Behind Blue Eyes for the Kelly for oh, Berry know, movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the thing is, I don't hate Limp Bizkit. I, 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 I think that they're... They put they 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 filled a very specific niche in like the '90s, which was like white dudes who wanted to like rap, but they were afraid because it, you know it wasn't white guy enough. So like, the, I think it's it's funny and 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 it's such a bro band. Like I mean, oh yeah. Uh, if you say someone is Olympus Kid fan, I know immediately what they're like. <laughs> I just do. Um, so what about so what about
3: what about ex Limpus fans? Is that a thing? Can I? I'm going to join that oh, club. Yeah, no,
2: that's totally, <laughs> yeah, totally fine. You know, I mean, and hey, Everyone went through that era where they're like, "Oh, corn is kind of good." Like, it's just it's <laughs> it's totally you know. I mean, and I don't have anything against those guys either. They made some songs that like, but that was a weird time in music, I think, where there's just like this bro rock rap thing. Oh
3: yeah, uh, no, I, I, I that was uh, I I I I think saying corn was kind of good for me when I was fifteen is an understatement. I thought corn was the
1: oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I I best of all time. Yeah, I really liked. Cool oh no, wearing your Adidas
2: <laughs> shirt and shit. Yeah, we were all. Oh yeah, nonsense, you know. <laughs> but uh, and and you know those guys are. Uh, I think they they've done some cool stuff and uh, but it's I just know exactly what that means. That's it's such totally. a distinct. Oh yeah. totally. Awesome. Uh,
1: is there a villain that you would like to write a story for?
2: Uh, Doctor Doom, for sure. Mm. Um, that's on the list. I'd like to do more with Lex Luthor. I love Lex Luthor. Um, I think that's such an interesting character. And I, I really want to do more Harley Quinn stuff. I got to write her in Suicide Squad, but, um, mm. that I really liked it. I think that's a really interesting character. Um, and she stole my Cassie's baseball bat. So she owes me.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, true. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Awesome. Oh, man, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to put you down for uh, I'm going to put you down for a Dr. Doom story and cast my vote into the into the editor somehow. Cause, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That'd
2: be awesome. yeah. I mean, I love that, uh, the, the, you know, the kind of um, that kind of villain, uh, Regal and, you know, the, the villain that thinks they're doing the right thing uh, against the hero is my favorite kind of villain. So Doom and Lex Luthor are both infinitely interesting to me, for sure. Cool.
0: You hear that, Jordan D. White? We've got someone interested.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, he was my he was my editor on the Deadpool versus Thanos. So oh, there you go. And he he's we are old friends. So if uh, you know if we ever get around to uh, working together again, I think we would do some killer stuff with. I actually got to write Doom in De the De- Deadpool versus Thanos. But Deadpool kills him, and then he that's right when all the dead come back to life because the uh, Lady Death's been imprisoned. Mm. So. Deadpool does the impossible. He kills Dr. Doom, but it doesn't work out. So Dr. Doom comes back and blows him up. So yeah, it's it's pretty fun. (laughs) Cool. Um,
0: who's the, uh, who's the most fun person in comics to hang out with?
2: Uh, let's see. Oh man. I don't know. I mean, John Layman is hilarious and you can, if you end up anywhere at a convention with John Layman, you will have a great time. Um, he's a pretty crazy guy. Um, let's see who else is good. To, I mean, that's the thing is like, the comic community is full of such good people. I know I, I so many really good friends in this <laughs> business and, you know, when I go anywhere. I can just call the comic people. Like I went to Portland last weekend for fun and I called up my friend Scott Alley and I called up uh, my friend Dave Walker and I mm. called, you know, it's like, I can just do that because comic people are so cool that way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the Chris Burnham is pretty hilarious. He's weird. Uh, there's something sort of wrong with him which (laughs) it makes him really fun um but uh yeah i I don't like there's so many people i I enjoy hanging out with we'll uh, have
0: to uh we'll have to have chris burnham on sometime and ask him what's wrong with him
2: i mean god good luck (laughs) good luck it's a a lot there's a lot going on there cool
3: uh, I'll, I'll wrap up this here lightning round with uh, with uh, give. A, can we get a, a little a teaser of what's to come from Tim Seeley?
2: Whew, man, okay, so I'm taking over. I've got this month. I have um, I've did three issues of Hellblazer with John Constantine coming out. Uh, my first one comes out the 23rd. I think I'm really proud of this as a character. I've always wanted to write, so I got to do three issues. I put every single idea I had uh, for john in there <laughs> um and then uh i have i on green lanterns in september mm. i think or or maybe october september october Something like that. uh yeah and then i've got a lot a bunch more nightwing and i have a new book that will announce i think next week uh oh. horror comic um that is a it's, it's sort of me going back to doing a kind of high flashy kind of horror thing um Girl and a monster, but much creepier. Uh, so nice. that'll be announced next week. And I have a let's see. There'll be another sci-fi book I'm doing isn't being announced. I think this week too. So this yeah, week yeah. I'll have tons of shit. Yeah, yeah. It'll keep it We'll keep everything busy.
0: We'll have to. Uh, we'll have to give everyone an update when uh, that gets announced. And and obviously we'll definitely have to have you on at some point in the future once uh, once those series are coming out to sort of talk about them.
2: Sure, no problem.
0: Awesome, man. Uh well, uh, thanks for joining the show. Uh where where can everyone find you on social media?
2: I am hacking Tim Seely on Twitter. I'm on there all the time. I'm on uh, I have a website com. I have a blog spot, I have a Tumblr, I have all that shit I don't want. Uh, <laughs> so you can find me there. Um but yeah, I'm usually I'm easy to find on the internet. Awesome. You put my name in you can find me.
0: Awesome. Well, Tim, thanks for joining the show. Uh it's 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 been a great pleasure. We'll definitely have to talk to you again in the future. Uh but yeah, thanks thanks for joining the show.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks yeah. so much. Thanks for having me.
0: And that was Tim Seely. It's a fun little we interview, did it. guys. We did it. We uh we <laughs> took a long time to like figure out how to coordinate uh doing the interview over an actual phone instead of Skype, but we we did it. Made it through.
3: Yay.
1: Yay.
0: And suddenly, you guys sound like like a million times crisper, crisp, like Two Face after the accident. I get it, get it, crispy, crispy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that
0: was a fun interview, man. Tim Tim Seely's a he's a he's a fun, entertaining guy.
1: Yeah, he was a really nice guy.
0: Yeah, we're uh, we're getting the hang of this new format, don't you think? We'll, we'll figure it out.
1: Yeah, I thought it was good. I stuff. I don't remember much. <laughs> it was like five minutes ago, Rachel. I know. What
0: just happened, guys? I blanked for a while. <laughs> guys, I blacked out. Did I do anything stupid?
1: I guess I just need to do all the interviews on DayQuil now.
0: There you go. That's, see, that's Rachel's secret is <laughs> she blacks out and then uh, asks questions.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> that's my secret. I'm always blacking out. <laughs>
0: Uh, but let's let's talk a bit about uh, the Tim Seeley books that uh, we read in prep for this uh, interview. Um, who who wants to start it?
3: I'm just can I just can I just skim over my end, like so brain fried on it, but like so I I did like I said to Tim I I did I read Revival mm-hmm. all 47 issues yesterday, and uh, oh boy, <laughs> I mean it's good it's a really good series and it, it's absolutely engaging. Um, it's quite. Kind of twisty and turny, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it's a lot of fun. You get these. You get the. He 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 did this really cool thing where he just kind of like would drop a new character and kind of out of the blue that became sort of a, a super important character. And it kind of so you get this ever expanding cast of characters, um, which is a lot of fun. But man, you know, I, I I know we've joked before about on on the show where I like to like read way too much too fast, but yeah, too I much, was, I young, was too fast. I was, I was, I was powering pretty hard yesterday and, <laughs> it, you know, some comics you can read, some comics you can read, uh, real, you know, real kind of like a, you know, like, like invincible, like That's you can burn through to invincible pretty quick. This one's pretty dense. Uh, and there's a lot of, um, like, you know, heavy, heavy, uh, there's a lot of pages, with lots of panels, lots of dialogue. So I was like, you know, about halfway through, I was like, oh, man, this is going to take way longer than I thought it would. <laughs> uh, so I did take a lunch break. I took a lunch break, guys. Don't worry.
0: I okay. remember to eat. That's good. That's good that you remember good, to eat. But, good job.
3: Uh, you know, and then one thing I didn't ask Tim that, uh, I, that uh, I wish I did. And, you know, maybe we can touch it at a later base. But I'm curious to see because it's getting a, a a series. It's been. Yeah. So it's been optional. option. So it's. Well, there's a, uh, trailer's already out for it. Oh,
1: that's right. Oh, right. really?
3: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty curious to see that kind of whole, whole world of it. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad we stuck to just the comics cause I think the comics are important. That's what, you know, that was, that was Tim's heart and soul was through the comics. But yeah, I'm, I'm, it, it's, it, if the, if the show is going to be anything like the book, it's going to be pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, yeah. But I wonder, you know, it's like what a risk because you know. So you've, you've got this forty-seven page comic, and you don't find out. The comic starts out with, uh, you know, the, the the these two sisters, and the younger sister is is one of the revivers, one of the dead that come back to life, and she had been murdered, and you don't find out who the murderer is till I think the second to, or third to last issue. Uh, so that's gonna be pretty tricky to put that to like, how do you how do you option a a series a comic book series to as a tv show running that risk of like you might have to wrap it up at the end of season one yeah. you know just because just just because how, how the just because of how tv works
1: yeah
0: yeah i'm i'm sure that uh you know like I, i'm sure robert kirkman always had that worry it's like oh shit like this is the zombie comic that never ends but now going into tv it's it's got to end at some point right um yeah that's uh yeah and and that's the thing i'm sure we'll be able to to kind of ask him about a lot of that stuff uh at a later date because especially with the the tv show coming out it'd be kind of cool to talk to him you know after it's been coming out and and sort of viewing it from a oh look it's
3: there uh totally point. totally um no but i i would say in a nutshell i would say revival was was, was quite good and quite an entertaining read and uh, um and, you know, just throughout the art, super good. It's got a great pace. Um, it's not, you know, some of the comic series, I think they rush to an ending because they're I think they I think, you know, what, what you see sometimes in these long form comics is they they, they kind of disseminate throughout the way they're like, OK, we're starting here and we're going to get to here. And then along the way, we're going to just kind of fill it in as we go. And then it gets overly complicated, and they're like, "Shit, we need to wrap this up." So they just kind of like drop some stuff off, and just kind of like, uh, da, 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 da. okay, there we go, we close it up, and we left a ton of open ends and loose threads and stuff. And this one I thought was particularly good because he it, it was it did not feel like that at all. It felt like it felt like a pretty solid three act uh, s- story, which is I, 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 to me impressive, considering that you know, like you said, he there's a lot of the sort of just filling stuff in and letting characters breathe along the way.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, yeah, absolutely. No. I, I, I give it full recommendation.
0: Hooray! Um, Yay. Rachel, you want to talk about Hackslash next or you want me to talk about uh, Nightwing?
1: Uh, I'll talk about Hackslash. Do it. Um, what's surprising about it is how fun and funny it actually is mm-hmm. because it does obviously deal with... Cassie the killer of killers and her monster sidekick so it's fairly violent and there is nudity and some some sexy times and stuff like that but it's it's like it's kind of satire in a way just because it's kind of making fun of 80s slasher movies and just stupid people in general and crazy people and I don't know. It was just so fun and funny, but my favorite thing, I think, is the Army of Darkness crossover because the way he does have Cassie Hack and Ash interact because, like you said, they basically are the same person. is just the funniest thing I've ever read. Like, laugh out loud funny as I was reading it. And I, I think the whole thing is like 220 pages so I mean it is quite long but it's so worth it be- just because none of it really makes sense there isn't really a plot like there is but you don't care mm. yeah. so de- yeah definitely if you're a fan of slashers and army of darkness I that was just one of the best things I've ever read <laughs> <laughs> I loved it so much <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Uh it was it was super fun like taking the uh taking the dive again on on Grayson and Nightwing. I mean obviously like, you know, being a huge DC nerd and Batman the Animated Series nerd and uh just like Nightwing being probably one of my favorite characters of all time. Yeah. Uh it was crazy fun. Going back and reading through this whole uh, phase, because you know, in the New Fifty Two, Kyle Higgins' Nightwing run was was always really good. I I enjoyed it quite a lot, but there was always something that uh, felt like it was missing. You know, they had they had Nightwing in like the red costume, and I think that some of the things at DC Editorial just sort of uh, sapped some of the life out of that character, if that makes sense. Um, Yeah. Prior to that, but then it, it felt like going into Grayson, even though visually the character was much less similar uh you know or much less familiar than he had ever been because he wasn't even you know wearing tights anymore uh and wasn't even a superhero the character kind of like what was, tim was talking about the heart of the character and what they were doing with him felt infinitely uh more familiar and right in line with with what dick grayson you know should be um And it was, like he was saying, I mean, reading through the, especially the Grayson Super Spy series, uh, there is so much, like, just man candy in that book. They, like, it's, it's, it's borderline male exploitation at certain points where it's just, like, unreasonably (laughs) sexy, wearing swimsuits for no reason, like, ass shots all over the place. Uh, there's always really, really fun interactions with, uh, between Dick and Midnighter, who is... He's, he's a, a Warren Ellis character uh, who is like, he, he's he's basically, originally he was uh, like Batman, but not in the DC Universe, but now he is. It's a complicated thing. Anyway, uh, but he was conceived by Warren Ellis as kind of this, this Batman analog who also had a relationship with a Superman analog. Um, <laughs> okay. And so by the time the Grayson series comes around, uh, Midnighter is like single and... Uh, you know, kind of doing his thing where half of his life is murdering, and the other one, the other half is like hitting up nightclubs and 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 kind of being a uh, being a little man player. Um, and so there's just like all these funny interactions between uh Dick and Midnighter, where like there there is a point they have like this facial disguise tech, you know, uh, technology, and Grayson's like in the field. Midnighter comes in and sees Grayson like disappear through a portal or something. And his line is just like his his face may be blurred, but I'd recognize that ass anywhere. I know who you are. (laughs) Like, it's (laughs) it's just so funny. And like, there's the girls of this like assassin school uh, come up with names for each of his butt cheeks, and like, um, wow, it's just like it's it's so over the top and funny. And uh, there's dick jokes in in every other issue. It feels like Um, it's just it's it's like a great. Sort of American style James Bond comic with superheroes in it. Um, it was nice. just really cool. And then uh, moving into Nightwing, it was like, okay, now Tim Seeley is writing it all himself instead of splitting with Tom King, and the issues are coming out twice as often. And so it kind of felt like Tim Seeley just going, "All right, like I'm, I'm, you know, getting, getting my, getting my dick on." Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's too easy, and I'm not funny, so I have to rely on easy. Um, Oh, okay. But no, it's just like in in everything. I mean, Nightwing, like I said, it it hits on so many familiar notes, but in unfamiliar ways. Uh, There's this whole story arc where, you know, Dick moves to a new city uh, and ends up finding out that a bunch of, like, former villains that he and Batman have put away. Uh, have moved to this city to try and, like, retreat from the traumatized life of seeing uh, vigilantes and crime fighters who who made their life collapse in front of them. Um, and so he, like, wanders into this, like, support group for supervillains that are all, like, terrified of him. Uh, and I... It was just weird, because reading that story arc uh, and the things that sort of happened in it, it's like half of me was, like, laughing out loud at some of the, like lines in that book that were just so funny and, and kind of twisty and insightful but then the other half of me was like holy shit like he's adding insane like psychological depth to like s- like d-list villains like defacer and and people like that uh and it was just like it was it was incredible to to sort of read and, and see him balance that line perfectly uh so yeah I, I don't know and the the art on both series is incredible um and so it's I don't know I hope he keeps writing that character for a really long time because he like he said he does really get that character
1: and that's yeah my long it, it does it it does kind of seem like he sticks with characters he knows yeah and he knows them very well so I I like that he does that
0: yeah absolutely um but yeah, that it was. It was a, a fun read. It sounds like all of us really enjoyed the uh, the series that we read. I think that you know Tim is certainly one of the best writers in the industry right now, and I'm I'm crazy excited. You know, like <clears throat> he's at this sort of point right now where he's about to shift into a lot of new things coming out. You know, like you said, he's he's taking over Green Lanterns, and he's got two yes. other projects <laughs> coming over, which I know like- Rachel's excited. <laughs>
1: Yeah, everything he was talking about was just like yes, Green Lanterns (laughs) and uh, Hellblazer, and then he's like, "I have a new horror series." I'm like, "Yes, this sounds amazing."
0: Yeah, so it'll be cool. Sci-fi
1: series too. Yeah, God,
0: it's like it's it's kind of like he's sort of starting like a a new phase of uh, of books that are that are coming out, and so it'll be it'll be cool to see what all that is, and I think that. I think already he's you know probably pretty well recognized as one of the the best writers in the industry, but uh, I think that putting even more sort of new and original series out there is is going to do nothing but help that. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's that's been the episode. Uh, let's go through all the the typical things. Uh, Matt, where can they find us on social media?
3: Well, first off, just want to remind everybody uh, next comic of the week is issue one of curse words by charles soul and uh, ryan brown hell yeah uh so be sure to be sure to read that um i read three pages and I, it's the fucking greatest thing i've ever read in my I, life i, I told <laughs> you
1: it was it's, amazing it's, and i bananas. can't handle it i
3: can't, I, can't, I, know. I can't handle it at all i like
2: wish
3: I, <laughs> go ahead I, 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 I was like what's the, how's this gonna go and like the even the first page where he's like He's like, I'll show you a magic trick, and it pulls a zippo out and he lights the zippo. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's the page turn, right? It's the yeah. joke, but yeah. it's like, oh my god, it's fucking brilliant! That's fucking brilliant. <laughs> um, anyway, no, so check that out. Uh, I think Ryan Brown's, I might, uh, he's, he's reaching Zadarsky levels. I just picked up uh, volumes two and three of God Hates Astronauts. Oh, wow. Um, just that guy, that guy's art is just the best. Yeah, uh, anyway, I wish that so their van tour was coming out to uh, our neck of the woods. Yeah, really, yeah. man. I just want to give those guys a hug and say thanks, champs. <laughs> um, no. So you can you can uh, uh yeah a check that out. Uh, b if you want to check that out and you've got a little if if you if you're itching and you got a little bit of time. Uh, why don't you do us a favor and 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 pick up uh, curse words through Amazon you can find our the the, the banner links on our website that might be cool.com you can reach us at instagram and facebook at savage land podcast you can find us on twitter at savage land pod you can call us at 413 savage 4 the uh, and the and the big thing you can do that would like that we we love 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 and that you could really help us out with is um go to itunes give us a rating and a review uh, uh uh Scouts Honor, I will I have said it before, I'll say it again. I will read anything you write. Um <laughs> As long as it's uh, not offensive. I, it, as long as it's not offensive. And uh uh I I say that as a challenge uh to some degree to see if uh to see if people can get me to say things I really don't want to say. <laughs>
0: um, oh, oh I have actually, a good one. I have a good one. Actually, uh, wait, somebody uh, somebody write a review uh that will make Matt say that blink 182 is the best punk rock band ever. Oh um,
3: no, don't do yeah. that.
0: Please, please somebody write that. Please, I god, I will I will I will figure out a good way to thank you, but I I would just kill to to hear Matt say that. I'll say it, but I won't mean it. <laughs> Whatever you say. <laughs> uh, and tell me has to put meaning behind it in your review. Um, oh, and then, uh, let's see, this episode, as, as there will be a message in, at the front of the show, but this episode was brought to you by Comic Bento. Uh, this month's theme is Bento Gets Wet. So you can uh, get a, a box of five comics that are all uh, water-related or themed. Uh, and you can use the promo code SAVAGE at checkout for $5 off your first box. Uh, go to comicbento.com, promo code SAVAGE uh we talked about the amazon banner that might be cool.com uh issue of the week curse words what anything else did we did we cover it all yeah i got it i i handled it matt jason look at this <laughs> this is so great i just i love it i feel like it that's the thing it's like i just feel i feel empty i'm like oh shit like this is normally where i bust out a bunch of stuff matt already covered it
3: huh that's fun uh, just go wander off by yourself tonight, yeah. Jason. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, and then, oh, our our next guests uh, in the pipeline—we have Michael Cho and uh, Zach Kaplan returning to talk about uh, the Eclipse TV show, talk about Port of Earth, talk about Eclipse Volume Two. Um, it'll be a good time. Oh, fun! Hell hey. yeah! Uh, and and uh, we hope you've enjoyed your time in the Savage Land.